All right. So every conversation I have in this show, I think is super interesting and we can learn a ton from anybody and everybody. Um, but I have to say that this guest I had today, Hillary, was a little bit of a jackpot for me. And I say that because just to give a little bit of her background. So Hillary's a cultural anthropologist, an author, a teacher. Um, she has an undergraduate degree in journalism. Uh, she has a master's degree in philosophy and she has a PhD in psychology. So when you think about that background of like the mix of like journalism and storytelling and being able to articulate the thoughts, the views, the perspectives, the things she's learned, the perspective of philosophy to really think deeply and, and, and think about thinking, and then the psychology aspect to understand it at almost a scientific level. That's like, all right, that's what I'm looking for when I'm, when I'm looking to have these conversations. Um, <clears throat> somebody with that that varied background. And then as she describes her work, it's it's exploring how we human beings make meaning of this wonderful, terrible, ecstatic, uh, startling and often absurd world which we live. So you get the idea, but, you know, it, almost it's funny because in a conversation like this with somebody like Hillary, I almost have to be careful because in some ways we, we, we have very similar perspectives and values and, and, and perhaps think similarly in some ways. So I have to be careful not to just like group think it and just think like, all right, this is exactly what it is. You know, we got all the answers and just look at it that way. But fortunately, uh, Hillary was, you know, super good perspective, super humble, open-minded, and her value uh, ties directly to that in that it was pulling back the blinders. Um, and I thought that was super interesting. And the reason she picked that value is that she wants to kind of engage and understand the world in the purest possible way. So to do that, you need to expand your perspective and try to see the world for what it really is, not just kind of our individual perspective that we have. Um, and the way she put it, one of the really interesting parts of the conversation was, you know, all the baggage, the biases, the, the lived experiences, everything that kind of forms us constructs this window, if you will, from which we see the world. And Hillary's goal is to try and find opportunities wherever she can to kind of peek out from different people's windows, get that different perspective, to get that more complete view of the world. And she's got so much experience given her, her background, her, her teaching, her work, her travels, her studies, uh, and particularly that anthropology perspective, to kind of understand it as we've evolved as humans, super, super interesting. So lots of really interesting aspects of this conversation, really insightful discussion, um, made me think a ton, which is always what I shoot for. So with that, let me stop talking about it and get to the conversation with Hillary. Hillary, thank you so much for being here. Very, very excited for this conversation today. And I will get to the question of what's the value that's most important to you? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I, I have enjoyed your show very much and uh, eager to get into the conversation along with you. The value that, first of all, I'd say it was, it was somewhat challenging to sort of pin it down to a single slogan. Um, but I would say the value that has sort of carried me throughout my life is pulling back the blinders. Say more, and, say more about that. What's yeah, that yeah. By that, I mean, I've just sort of, uh, for the large portion of my life, been really fascinated about who we human beings are, what we're capable, who I am, what I'm capable of, what ways do we get in our own way, either through our sort of uh, ideologies, through our personal experiences that shape us, and, you know, really taking it first and foremost from a personal thing, because I do believe with this kind of thing, you got to start with, you know, the experiment should first be on yourself or on myself. So I've just spent a lot of my life in different ways, and especially in my role as an anthropologist, pulling, trying to figure out, like, how much of the world can I see 
beyond the projections that I put onto it. Mm. Super interesting. And I think it aligns in some ways with how I think and why I was so excited to speak to you as an anthropologist and just the work you do and the way you think. Because the way I often phrase it is like a first principles mindset of like, I, I need to understand the first principles kind of root nature of how we are as humans and what the world is so that I can figure out how to move in it just logically. Like that seems logical. And it sounds like there's some of that in what you're saying of like, you want to see the whole picture. You're very cognizant and aware that we all have our biases and blind spots and, you know, we project on the world what we think it is. And your goal sounds like is to as best you can get that clear picture. Um, if you can get it, is it, what's that rooted in for you? Is it just because it's fascinating and interesting? Is it more functional because you're trying to get to something happiness or whatever it might be? Like what, what drives you for that, for that search? Yeah. Wow. So I guess I could answer that in two ways. And I'll try to remember that I said two ways and get back <laughs> to both. You know, in some ways for me, it's sort of historical, my own personal history, which is I grew up in a non-religious household, almost atheistic, I would say, in fact, some semi-nihilistic-ish. And mm -hmm. I talk a little bit about that in my latest book. And so I kind of, I would say not in any way did I come in as a blank slate or raised as a blank slate, because even if we don't have religion or whatever, we've still got our cultural yeah. things that, you know, were, are being placed on us. However, I didn't have the sort of religious, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't, it's hard to say without sounding judgmental and I don't at all mean it, but let's, yeah. let's call it baggage just because that, that's stuff to sort out. Mm -hmm. Um, I did grow up in Salem, Massachusetts, which as some folks may know is sort of considered the site of the Salem witch trials and, and it's considered the witch city. And even growing up, you know, mid seventies, eighties, it was very much a place where people were very interested in what else is possible beyond what science tells us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, many of the bookstores have things about psychic phenomenon and, you know, I think I, even if I hadn't been raised there, I would still have come in with this sort of yearning, but being raised in an environment where there were so many options for seeing the world and, and getting knowledge and engaging with existence really kind of sparked my mm. passion for who are we and what are we capable of? What's mm. our potential mm. if we can get out of our own way in some ways? And um and so that's just really followed me in one way or the other. And in terms of like, what am I aiming at? Well, I have to ask too, before you go, Hilly, yeah. so you mentioned there was two things. Yeah. Was that, was that one and yeah, two? Yeah, okay. that was one. I wanted to make sure we didn't miss the second one. Thank you. Thank you. No, I'm counting on you to keep me honest <laughs> on that one. No, the, the second thing was, you know, you would also ask me sort of like from a personal perspective, yeah. how do I relate to that? And what's my emotional kind of like hook into that? Ah. Uh, you know, the sh I would say diving in real deep here, real quick, Let's you know, it. in some ways, the shadow side of that desire to draw back the blinders is a perfectionism that I think I do struggle with. Mm. And if I'm unable to see things clearly, you know, without my own, you know, perceptions, I, I can definitely get down on myself mm. and frustrated. So I think there is a genuine desire to engage with the world as purely as possible, partly out of respect for other people and, and wanting to see and understand and, and commune with people at the most, most pure level. And 
there's a place at which that's ultimately going to be impossible to a certain degree because we we come in with our own baggage, our own everything, whether it's nature, nurture, a little bit of both, whatever. So yeah, so I, you know, it's it's the excitement and the pain of trying to see everything as purely as possible. Mm. Super interesting. On the first point, I'll say, I, I think that's interesting because as we all do, exactly to your point about our baggage and our filters, as you're explaining how you were brought up, I'm thinking about it, the contrast to how I was brought up in the lens. And I think it's interesting for you because it sounds like in some ways, um, because you were you were brought up in a household that, that didn't have religion, that was in a place where it was always looking to some extent beyond science, you're kind of working hypothesis or assumption from the beginning was there's not one set way there's lots of different ways to look at this thing and, and the world and life and mine was probably and again it's not a value judgment you know I, I think I had a great childhood in many ways but it was it was not that it was much more like no, no no this is what it is generally right this is what it is and that whole idea of even seeking for things didn't come from me till much later in life but for you it sounds like that was kind of your working starting point of there's lots of different ways and that kind of sets you on the path and that's just interesting to your point of how we all have how much it influences us, how much our environment, how much that can direct us to where we are. So I think that's super interesting in and of itself. Um, but but I, I do wonder to the point now where as you're, as you're still looking for it, as you pull those blinders back, what, what have you found? I guess I'm hoping you give me the answers here. I'm hoping you have it, right? The thing we're looking for. Have you started to see things where you've said, I feel like I've gotten some clarity on things that maybe others haven't, that haven't looked in this way, or just insights that have allowed you closer to that point of seeing the world for what it really is? Yeah, a little bit here and there. I mean, like specific insights, I could probably, I could certainly come up with a few. I would say sort of laying even more of like a general foundation about all that. What, and I, I especially, I mean, I, I'm sure it happened before this, but going to other cultures as I do as an anthropologist, you know, part of the motivation there is I want more tools for my toolbox in, in terms of how I see the world. Mm -hmm. And I want to know, you know, because the way each of us culturally, whether, you know, and there are so many ways to look at us as cultural beings, whether that's as say an American, a New Englander, mm -hmm. a woman, uh, you know, that it's a nesting yeah. doll of, of ways that we, you know, relate. And so going to other cultures, seeing how in one culture, a problem that something that I consider a problem may not be considered a problem there mm. and may have ways of looking at the world through a new window that then makes me go, oh, okay, I've been going around my life thinking this was a problem. Maybe it's not really a problem, or maybe it's not a problem in the way I think it is, or maybe it's a problem actually has a fairly simple solution. Mm. So I think, you know, in order to draw back the blinders, I believe one has to become really comfortable with ambiguity and with dissolving the mind in some ways. Uh, which, which is interesting too, not to cut you off, but like yeah. there's such a dichotomy in that of, and I relate to this a lot, so maybe I'm projecting on you, but like mm -hmm. it's rooted in a search for answers. But what you find is that you have to be comfortable with ambiguity. And there's something in that that's so beautiful, but so frustrating in some ways, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, in a way, I would almost say it's not a search for answers, it's a search for expanding the questions and the possibilities. So I would say I don't, in a way, maybe I don't like the word answers because at least the way we use it, that that's a declarative statement. And I think we've become so obsessed with declarative 
unyielding answers that we've forgotten to ask questions. Certainly our social media, you know, 150 characters or whatever it is world does not help in terms of opening up possibilities. So, you know, really it's, it's, and, and one can go, you know, maybe I go to another country and I ask a question about something that I've been working on and they give me an answer that I'm not comfortable with. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean I have to work, I have to then change my mind about how I was feeling about it before, but just to know, to have that little crack in the, in the cosmos that maybe there is another way of looking at it. Not that you necessarily have to, but considering the possibility of multiple perspectives and multiple options. So let me, let me press on that a little bit, because yeah. I think what you're saying to me makes a lot of sense and, and like logically, philosophically, it makes sense. But like, if we follow the thread, right? So exactly what you said, you, you can go to another culture, you can ask a question, you can get an answer that doesn't make sense for you. And you can process that by saying, okay, there's different perspectives, there's different ways. There's some people that would hear that and say like, well, then what's the point? Because if, if it's always if there's no if there's no declarations if there's no clear answers if 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 what you're finding in all of this is that there's not a first principle root level piece to it it's just there's just infinite different ways it can be done then what's the value in it and that's ironically why i named the podcast what i did a little bit like what what still makes you feel like no there's something that's positive like what what is it giving you in life that makes you feel like it's worth it to do this mm. well who knows maybe there are first values maybe are there is a uh, absolute truth with a capital t of reality out there mm. i'm not convinced we're ever going to find it and you know this is you know a metaphor that's sort of been overdone but it's that whole like the blind man with the elephant mm -hmm. and everybody's feeling a different piece. I think that's where I come at it. So if there is an absolute truth, which maybe there is, I have no idea. Uh, there probably is, because maybe on one level there's got to be, but then again, I could argue that point too. I don't know. <laughs> um, but the idea that any of us little, little humans have the absolute truth complete in our minds, in our souls, in our hearts, uh, I can't quite buy that. I've never met anybody who I thought came close, um, and including myself. I am so far from having any idea, which is why I'm, you know, this is, this is my, my value and my passion. Mm. So I do think that we all are looking out of our, our, our own little windows at a very valid perspective on the world but it's not the only window in the mansion yeah and there's value there's there's value in just accepting that i think right even mm -hmm. even if the the conclusion to it is like well i only have this window i can't look out of a different window and, and i would argue you probably can at least start to get a little different perspective yeah but i think even the realization of that of that this is just my window it doesn't mean it's right it's just the window that i have mm -hmm. something in that is useful, functional, powerful, important. And, and I think maybe that gets to the answer too, of like, even if that's where it stops, 
I think we're better off as people if, if we can accept that at least, right? Is yeah. that kind of what you found? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think we can also go, and this is where, again, I feel like this is what happens at the metaphorical level when I'm doing my anthropological work is I'm going over to somebody else's window and they're right. kind of putting their arm around my shoulder right. and going, hey, look at that. Look yes. at that. Look at that. And I'm like, hey, cool. I've got a hey, totally different perspective. Talk to me about that sensation. Because I, 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 yeah. I, as you said that, I feel it mm -hmm. physically. Yeah. Like, that's awesome. That's yeah. such a cool thing. Yeah. What does that feel like for you when you get to do that? Is it just excitement? Is it interesting? Is it, what is it? Oh, it's, uh, can I just say it's orgasmic? Yeah, yeah I get that. <laughs> I mean, it is a little, for me, it's a little mental orgasm. I mean, to see the world and, uh, and I, you know, I am somebody who enjoys sort of having my mind and my ideas deconstructed. Not everybody is like that. Mm -hmm. Lots of people are, do not like that, that feeling of almost chaos. I live for it. Mm. Um, and yeah, to uh, there's something uh, almost anxiety relieving to know that you've got more tools in your toolbox than you knew you ever had because we get in ruts of, of thought. And if you have somebody pulling you over to the window and going, hey, this is another way you can actually look at this thing that's been agonizing you for years or something, let's say. And suddenly the, the sun comes out from the clouds and you know there's the mm. oh mm. Mm. yeah that's yeah. that's how it feels for me yeah let's talk a little bit because i know I, I believe you studied some psychology as well and you're mm -hmm. kind of familiar with some of the, the the physiological biological nature of this so maybe it's getting a little bit into that what have you found in terms of the challenges because i think for a lot of people pulling those blinders back is really hard um, some of it's just acknowledging that it's even worth doing, but even for people that think it's worth doing, it's hard to actually do. And I would imagine there's some psychological evolutionary aspects to that. What have you learned from that? Like, what are the things that have allowed you to do it? What are the struggles you still find yourself in when you're trying to truly pull it all the way back? Mm. Yeah. So, you know, I, I will refer to a story again in my, in my new book about a, a time when I was a child and uh, it came up something, you know, I was talking to, about, to my father about death or something like that. And he said, well, are you afraid of, are you afraid of death? And I was like, you know, I was like five or six or something. I'm like, uh, well, yeah, I guess maybe kind of. And he's like, well, if you're not afraid of where you came from, why are you afraid of where you're going? So not to get stuck on that particular philosophical <laughs> discussion, but for me, that was like, oh, you mean there's another way of looking at that, taking that interesting. Now, I don't know if that exactly gets to your question. I'm actually might need you to repeat your question. Well, I think it does because it's, it's for a lot of people, let's just stick with that story you told break. Let's stick with the same analogy too. like looking at it from that other window. It just seems impossible. Like it's just, our minds don't want to let us do that. I, I would, I would think there's something around the idea that we strive for certainty we strive for understanding things in a cohesive way so desperately that when you want to pull the blinders back, when you want to consider the idea of maybe death isn't that bad, it makes us like on a very base level, it's it, our body, our mind doesn't want that. Like it, it almost spits it out. And that's why pulling the blinders back is so hard. And that fascinates me in a lot of ways. And I think as someone who works so hard to do it, so back the question being like, how do you do it? How can people do a better job of that and overcome their mind's resistance to it? Yeah. I think treating ourselves gently is important. Um, you know, my, my focus in terms of psychology, I do have a PhD in psychology. The focus has been existential psychology, which I really love. And I, I won't be able to do this quote justice, but it's from a book by Kurt 
Schneider and Rollo May, who are two leaders in that field, who talk about, you know, we human beings crave at the same time both expansion and contraction, but there's a fear of both. You know, to contract too much is to become, you know, condensed and uh, hard and rigid and, you know, to expand too much is to potentially, or at least the feeling is, you know, um, you know, confront madness and chaos and you lose yourself in it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You lose yourself. Therefore, you know, if you lose the, you know, if you expand too much, maybe you lose all the people in your world and you're lonely and we are social creatures mm-hmm. and we want to be. So I think that when we're looking at this idea of expanding our blinders there, both those things come into play mm-hmm. and they're legitimate fears there, or, you know, there's certainly human fears to a degree legitimate because we need to stay centered, I think, mm. um, and expand. And, you know, so it is that it's like the, in, the inhale and the exhale, mm. you've got to have a little bit of both. And if I would say, if you're interested, if one is interested in expanding their blinders, just to tread carefully a little at a time, you don't have to rip them off. I'm not interested in ripping them off because maybe that way does lie madness. <laughs> um, on the other hand, I would never, could never be satisfied living a life where I didn't feel like I was psychologically expanding my perception and becoming a better person. Mm. Yeah. Has it ever broken bad for you? Have you ever ripped them off too far where you've been like, whoa, 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 let me, let yes. me cover it up a little bit? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, uh, again, early on in my in my youth, I was so interested, as I said, growing up in Salem, I was very interested in like all these psychologicals. And I, did, I wasn't telling anybody, nobody was training me. I was just reading a lot. I was trying to expand my brain. And uh, I had this thought at one point, like, oh, it just, it just sort of hit me like a rock. I, you know, if I do this too much or too fast, I could lose my mind. Mm. And it terrified me. And I stopped looking into all that stuff for a really, really long time. And so interestingly, I think, you know, for a long time in my life, I did have a fear of losing my mind, you know, and yet that fear just was a reflection of a passion that I had at the same time. And sometimes that is, you know, our fears are also, the shadow side of our, our yeah. enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, um, there's, there's a, there's like a healthy aspect to that where you want to have a little, if you, if you don't have any fear that you might lose your mind, you're probably not going far enough, yeah. right. To your point about right. the balance, but obviously you don't want to go so far where you actually do lose your mind. So, right. and again, back to it, that's an uncomfortable thing for a lot of people listening us. I'm sure even the idea of being somewhat comfortable with thinking like, Ooh, I may be going, I may lose my mind a little bit. That's then don't do it. Just don't do that. <laughs> just stay in your box, stay home and be happy right. and comfortable. Right. And I get it for some people. Maybe that is, maybe that's what's right for them. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I resonate more with what you're saying. It feels like there's too much to be learned. There's too much out there that it would just it would be too much regret and not, in not pushing it and not trying to, to find out more. And that risk is worth it. As long as you're cautious, right? That risk mm-hmm. seems to be worth it. Yeah. Yeah. That's someone, the, uh, I think a great value of the podcast that you do is uh, talking of values. <laughs> it, having these conversations with people, I think is a great service to folks who kind of want to go and stretch their sense of what is my, what are my values and what, how do people feel about them? 
And I think listening to or having conversations like this that, you know, especially in a really trusting kind of quote unquote safe space where you feel like you can experiment with ideas safely without the fear of say being canceled or, uh, you know, just judged. Or, yeah. yeah, exactly. Is um, incredibly valued hmm. or valuable. And unfortunately, I think I just, I do feel the world we're living in those spaces for honest exploration in that way are getting less and less mm. because in some ways I feel perhaps we are getting more and more rigid on some level as a self-protect me mechanism. As well, I appreciate that firstly. Yeah. And I, I totally agree. I, that's why yeah. anybody having conversations like this, I love. So for me, it's yeah. like, Hey, I'd love to be a part of that too. Yeah. What, what do you make of that though? As an anthropologist, as somebody who studied human history, human nature, culture, why do you think we are seeming to be trending more in that way where we are mm -hmm. getting more rigid? Is that, was that inevitable? Is that just human nature or? Well, A, I don't know. I have no clue. So anything I say now is just really, maybe. Maybe it is more that inhale, exhale, but on a larger historical, mm. you know, there we go, you look at the cycles of history and they do tend to have certain patterns of, freedom followed by constriction followed by freedom followed by constriction and it's that maybe it's the breath of history that we go through this mm. and um yeah there's something cool about i mean so i'm not particularly religious although i i, I i'm open to anything as you might imagine in this and there's something in that explanation to me that's representative of the idea of like it's almost um, we are a microcosm of the universe right exactly as you said that that contraction that inhale exhale and it does make it feel like it is connected in some way i don't know if it's connected in the way that some people like we're literally all one maybe we're all one and we're all the same and it's all love but there's so many there's so much connection in what we experience what the universe experiences and all that where it does feel like there is there is something to it that that you know, spiritual level on a, on a meta level does connect it all in some way and to me, there's some comfort in that. I don't know how you think of that, but there's some comfort in that to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I find it very fascinating. I, and I'm sure some, I'm sure comforting in some level too, although I think I get at it kind of intellectually, like we are, we are these, whatever the truth of reality is, we are, I do, it does seem like we're these little uh, organisms of, of existence that, mm. you know, just as there are bacteria within our bodies that, uh, you know, are part of us. We are not just a singular being. We are multiples because we've got bacteria. We've got parrot. We've got all kinds of living creatures within us. Mm. Perhaps we too are part of some larger living creature as the bacteria are with us. So I, I'm very interested in that idea of as above, so below. It's kind mm. of a, it's not, a, I wouldn't call it comforting because it's in a way it's a little creepy, but I do find it interesting. Yeah, I do too very much intellectually as you said and, and there's a lot of logic to it too which i think is is what makes it interesting and maybe the comfort that i speak of comes from like even as you explain that and you're right we don't know right we're all speculating we're philosophizing but when there is a explanation like that that seems logical i think part of the comfort for me is like maybe maybe that's the answer maybe that's it maybe we finally hit that first principle mm -hmm. and obviously we'll never know but i think yeah. it speaks to that search and that desire and that need to say what, but what is it though? But like really, literally, what is it? Yeah. Um, and that's maybe, maybe that is it, right? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. If there is an afterlife, I don't know. Would I want to know the, the, the sacred to life, the universe and everything? I think I would. 
I think I, I would think have so. To. Hopefully, hopefully, in some sort of afterlife, we have the capacity to contain it all because I don't think our brains can contain yeah. the truth yeah. of of everything. I read, a, I read, shoot, I'm not going to remember where it came from now, but there was a quote somewhere that um, humans trying to understand that existence is like a dog trying to understand the internet. And I thought, like, huh, yeah, like that is perfectly to me proportionate to probably what it is. Like, it's yeah. just it's so inconceivable in every way that like, yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What is a similar one? The mind is the only thing in existence trying to understand itself. Yeah. 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 It's trippy. It, get, it can yeah. get trippy when you think of it in that way. And I think again, that scares some people off, but there's a lot of value in leaning into it. Yeah. But, but let me ask you this. So where, where does it, as you think about your value, as you think about that search, how do you think about happiness in life and like satisfaction? Because in some ways, there's never an answer. So it's always an ongoing journey in search, which I think is good. And a lot of people will be okay with that. But where is there an endpoint? Is there satisfaction? Like, where does the happiness come from? Is it just in the search itself? Yeah, I, I think it is in the, for me anyway. Uh, you know, I feel, oh, I think for, you know, for many reasons, I feel very satisfied in, in a lot of ways about the life that I've led to this point. Not that I don't have regrets and not that I wouldn't redo a number of things, um, especially things that maybe influence people, other people in a negative way that I'd love to take back and redo. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm okay with the question. See, this is where I think becoming comfortable, the questions comes in. Because mm-hmm. if, if your satisfaction depends on an answer with a capital A, maybe that's heading you towards a, not you, but one, Mm -hmm. heading one towards a life of dissatisfaction. But if the goal is the questioning and finding little lowercase a answers along the way that are useful, that help us become more highly functioning, more, you know, uh, loving, more happy, more uh, community oriented, then I feel like we've, we've done something good, or I feel like I've done something good if I can if I can achieve that. This is always the weird question. I always preface it with this. Maybe I should stop. But the weird question, why though? Why are those things good? Why does that bring value to you where you're like, if we can be more loving, more community-based, what's what's that rooted in, in a belief that that's an objectively good thing? Well, I wouldn't say it's objective because I, I can't okay. be, I would say I can't be objective. That's okay. really, you know, and again, this is where, you know, we all come in with our own, lenses and baggage and whatever. Subjectively speaking, I, I feel, I really, I want people to feel good about themselves and feel okay. I, I, you know, I was a fairly lonely kid and that may be where that came from and felt you know, somewhat um, separated from other people and a little unsure about how to relate to other people. Mm. And so, yeah, I, so I feel a lot of empathy for this, I just the idea of uh, what this is great. You're you're really asking me to <laughs> dig into this and, and and have come up with words I don't think I've ever really articulated. So mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah, I just I I I guess that's why I guess I just want people to feel okay, and and anything that I can do, and because I feel like I have this capacity to and desire and enjoyment of drawing back blinders, whatever I can do on behalf of other people who maybe don't want to do that and then take that information, put it in a book, put it in a mm-hmm. whatever, an article or whatever, whatever, that to me feels right in my heart. It feels mm-hmm. right in my 
in my being. Mm. Yeah, I'll say, so I've done about 90, depending on when this airs, about 90 of these thus far. And, and there is a common theme of that, which is very intuitive, but it's also interesting. And I'm curious to unpack it a little bit, get your thoughts. Like, I can't tell me how many people I've spoken to where they've had some experience, something in their life where it's impacted them and has then driven them to say, if I can help others with that, if I can alleviate that in others. And there's obviously something very beautiful in that and, and great in that. And maybe even it ties back to that connectedness we spoke about before, that sense of like, if I felt that and somebody else is feeling, I don't want anybody to feel that because I know what that feels like and I don't, and I don't want it there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and sometimes I debate in my head in, in the way you'll appreciate of never being certain about anything of like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, it seems good, but is it, because you can imagine, and I say this sometimes on the show, like I would imagine there's a lot of people who, had a very similar mindset and well-intentioned who thought I'll help people. And maybe it's a savior complex or a hero complex, or like, I know better. I know people might struggle with this, so I'm going to teach them. Um, how do you think about that? Is that is, I know nothing's objectively good or bad, but is that, are you comfortable with that? When you, when, when you do articulate it in that way, do you reflect on it and say, yeah, I'm good with that. I think that's a good approach to take in life. Or do you see a shadow side to it? So the question is sort of like, what's the shadow side to the desire to, you know, like help people, people feel better about life and so and, and yes, yeah. but I would, I would add to that when that desire and the way in which you want to help is rooted in your personal experience, because mm-hmm. there's almost an assumption in that of like other people are like me, they've, they're right. going to feel this too. And that's that self, again, not the words aren't the right words, but that self-centered aspect of it, of mm-hmm. being right. That's where I worry. Yeah. Like, is there something right, right. That that's bad? Well, I would say that first of all, all we've got is ourselves. So the only baseline we've got is, is ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we have to, I, as far as I know, I say I, we have to, but I'd love to be shown differently about this, but let's just say for the sake of argument, we have to start with where we're at and who we are and the experiences mm-hmm. we've had. There's, I don't see there's any way getting around that. What comes next though, I think is leaving an offering at the table and not force feeding anybody anything. Mm-hmm. That so, same balance you spoke about before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, um, you know, I write a book and I put some ideas out that I hope will have resonance, will help people feel maybe less alone in the way they're feeling or, or give them some insight into another way of looking at the world because it's done that for me. Hmm. I have to figure there's, you know, going to be some people who are similar enough to me who are going to read that and have some positive effect. Hmm. You know, then there will be people who read it and they they get nothing from it because that's not where they're at. That's not what they're struggling with. And they're like, "Uh, what's this crap this lady's putting on this book? Why did trees have to die for this? I don't know. And there may be people who listen to me maybe when they shouldn't because it's not, my advice is not quite right for them. Um, I mean, I talk about going to Peru and working with the mescaline cactus San Pedro and the beautiful effects and the wonderful experiences I had doing that you know, it's entirely possible somebody might read my book and go, hey, that worked for her. Let me try it. And if they're going to have a very negative experience. So I, the things that I do, I hope to whatever extent I can are offerings rather than dictates or Mm. prescriptions Mm. of how to live. Mm. In some ways you're trying to give people another window to look through, just look through it, just check it out. Right. Consider it and and see what you go from there. Yeah. And by the way, uh, you know, Jane's got a great window too. go check out Jane's window. You may, you know, in between the two of us, and then there's another one and John's got it over there. And 
Well, I yeah, think I think buffet. you nailed it. I, I I say this often. To me, certain certainty and humility, right? That the play off of those two are so critical to it because I think when it breaks bad, where it goes wrong, is when it is dictated, when it is there is certainty in it that this is the window, this is the way to do it, and you lose that humility to acknowledge like this is just mine. Jane's got one that could be better for you. She may know something. He may like whoever. I think that's such a crucial piece of it. Um, but again, psychologically hard, like we want that confidence. We want yeah. that certainty and, and people respond to that, right? If you, if you were to go on YouTube right now and start making declarative statements based on your experiences, you might have more followers. You might have more people listening, mm -hmm. but it's not net positive for the world. Right. And that's back to that dichotomy of life a little bit. Yeah. More. yeah. yeah. Contradiction isn't easy. No. You know, it's, uh, and especially, I mean, some, you know, some personality types, some backgrounds, maybe you were taught to think it's either this or it's that it's either heaven or hell. It's these very antagonistic polarities that you have to, it's, it's either or it's not both and. Uh, some of the work I did in Peru was exploring this idea of yanantin, complementary opposites, mm. and how, you know, whereas the Western worldview tends to be this one where Philosophically speaking, we take the opposites and see them as a battle for, for dominance. One always trying to overcome the other. So there's this like real battling mentality, whereas in the um, Peruvian tradition that I was studying, it's much more the opposites are looked at as dancing together and engaging. And part of that dance is going through battle stages and it includes that conflict. It includes, you know, they've got this whole four stage process that, you know, shows how a, a relationship can go from one of antagonism to one of complementary, mm. from one, from dance, from battle to dance. Mm. And it's not that the, the fight or the battle or the tension is bad. That's a necessary part of sort of this coming to a dancing with the world kind of, kind mm. of feeling. Mm. Yeah, because the, the example, there's tons of examples. The, the thought that I always come to is like like racism, slavery, right? I think mm -hmm. those types of topics, many people look at that and say, but but that is binary, like that is evil. We do need to fight against that. And it's 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 exactly what you said. Contradiction is tough because on the one hand, I hear that I'm absolutely of course, of course we do. Absolutely we do. But there is a part of me that looks at it and says racism, let's use it, slavery, I think is somewhat as close to objective as we can get as being bad. But it's not that we don't want to fight against it. It's how we fight against it. And I think what you're articulating is it's not necessarily brute force ahead because that just causes a ripple effect of other issues and other problems. And that's such a hard thing to say because there's so many people that suffer from it who feel like, no, fuck that. Like, I shouldn't have to consider anything. I shouldn't have to dance at all. Just fix it. And that's true. That does seem fair that it should be that way. But the world is such where it, it seems like it's more nuanced and that sucks in some ways, but at the same time, it might be the reality. And that's, I, to me, that's that contradiction you speak of. That's really hard to swallow. Yeah. I know when I went to, when I was in Peru working with um, the folks down there, mostly shamans, I did say to them at one point, so how do you, how do you deal with this philosophy in terms of good and evil? I mean, if you see something bad happening that you feel like you should stop do you just let it play out or how to and they're like no 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 no. they were like almost horrified that i needed to ask that question they're like no no you you know only a crazy person wouldn't be against the bad things that happen mm -hmm. but you need to be against the bad things in a very harmonious way which opens up a whole what does that mean you know that's a that's a very long road to go down yeah. like, but yeah. 
yeah, it doesn't mean that you step outside of this sort of dialectic process we got going on. It doesn't mean that you don't stand up for the things in your heart that you stand up for that are truly horrendous. And um, it's, and this is where the questions bubble up. There's no answer to how do you do that harmoniously? I think it's, it, it is just having that little opening of, okay, what are the ways I could think of this? Yeah. 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 There's, there's a lot of um, quotes and thoughts about like um, planning and, and there's a lot of quotes that say like, um, it's not about the plan. It's about the process of planning. Like that's, what's important. I think there's a parallel to what you're saying where it's like, it's not that there's a clear answer and it's about the answer. It's about the process being right where you're trying to act harmoniously. It may not go the way you want. You may not get to the, you know, you'll never know what that right answer is, but as long as that's what you're aspiring towards and that's what you're working towards in that process, I feel like it gives us a much better chance to get to a better outcome. And again, even in that, there's something that's, um, not satisfying in it. Like we want to know, no, no, no. Tell me this is the right way. Tell me this is the path that will get me to the answer. And it's just not right. Obviously yeah. that's just not, just not yeah. what it is. Yeah. 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 What do you, as we're coming towards the end, so I love this conversation first, as you might imagine. Yeah. Same um, here. This is great. Um, yeah. What, what is your, we touched on it before, right? We may never know what this universe is all about, what the truth is. Do you have a best guess at this point? Just if somebody said, Hey, just, just what do you, what do you think? If you had to say, like, is there, is there an entity that created all of this? Is there a deliberate plan? Is it completely random and infinite and it's just happening how it happens? Do you have a sense of what you think it more likely is than something else? Oh, wow. Well, I don't have any concrete sense. Uh, the, the closest I can come to at least that resonates for me, and I'll try to articulate this in some way that makes sense, I think, I think of our existence in a similar way as I think of music and rhythm and rhythm begets rhythm begets rhythm and one rhythm will spin off into another rhythm. And if you've ever been to like a drumming circle or something and you hear the drums speaking to one another and they somehow create a, uh, a rhythmic conversation. And I, I think there's, and, and if you're in a certain rhythm, it's, you can try to get out of that rhythm and maybe you can, but it's hard and there'll be that tension and that conflict and, and that contradiction. But yeah, um, that's not super profound, but rhythm and music is the closest I come to understanding how. Well, what, or, what, I, what I think is interesting about the music analogy is that it kind of dabbles in both sides. There is a openness and freeness and randomness to it, but there is also some order and structure, but not like you would think of in a very rigid way, right? Much like mm -hmm. you think of jazz or whatever. That's what I think of when you say it. It's free flowing, but there's still some order to it. There's still something guiding it, some thread throughout it that keeps it together. Um, and in some ways, I think that is profound. <laughs> nice. Well, you just said, actually, you just articulated it way better than I did. So thank you <laughs> for that. Effort. Thank you. Yeah, totally. It is a team effort. See, yeah. this, is, yeah. this is illustrating exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Had I not, yeah, that's you, you, you captured exactly what I've been feeling in, in words that I might not have had. Do you think we as humans, you know, as a, as a human species, do we ever get to a place where let's assume that's true, right? We don't know, but let's assume that is true. There is some musical rhythm to it where we all kind of get that, where we get to more of an enlightened state at scale. Um, maybe some of the conflicts, the pain, the suffering, the pettiness that we deal with now 
we can rise above that and, and kind of have an understanding of that. I know there'll always be some suffering, but do you have optimism that we can get there or back to where you're before? Do you think it's more kind of cyclical where we have some good periods and bad periods and it just flows like that? Hmm. Well, my best sort of guess is sort of somewhere between optimism and cynicism hmm. where on the one hand, if you look at, say, history as a, a circle, an unending circle, uh, as some philosophers have, then it's, it just repeats over and over again. And that's pretty depressing to me. I like to think of it more as a spiral that you, it's a circle, but it's a circle that repeats sort of infinitely and in different ways. Mm. I like the idea. I don't know if I always believe it, but I love the idea that we are becoming, let's say, more and more, quote unquote, enlightened as we go along. And there may be areas in which that tr that's true and other areas where that's not true. I hope that it's true. Mm. I, I really do. Um, I, you know, I hope we, we strive to be better than the generation before um, and that each generation becomes more compassionate and loving. You know, of course, that'll depend, you know, not just on our own human hearts, but on conditions uh, as they face us in the future. Uh, you know, as, if conditions become, you know, whenever conditions are dire, the human heart has a harder time opening to the other um, and being not so self-centered. Mm. So, you know, I would say while things are still pretty good, for as long as they're pretty good, whether in, in history or in our own personal lives, we need to practice compassion mm. to whatever degree we can mm. and make it part of our habits. Yeah, it's funny. There's a, there's a phrase I say to my son often, which ties to what you're saying, which is a stupid phrase, but um, I, I often say to him, it's easy when it's easy, it's hard when it's hard. And I think it gets right to the core of what you're saying, which is when, when conditions are tough, it's very hard for us to be good people. Or the way I say it to him is like, you know, being nice to your mom, doing the right thing when, when everything's going great, when it's summer vacation and you're in the pool all day and then you have to go clean your room. It's like, yeah, of course. Yeah, we'll clean it. But when it's, you know, homework and stress and other things going on, that's that much harder. And in some ways, like I, that's my hope. My hope is for uh, I'll, I'll, the cynical side is that we can never get there. But the hope is that we as people can evolve, maybe literally, but maybe metaphorically evolve to a place where we can do the hard things when it's hard. Because I think that's what that's what would keep us in that circle because times are going to be hard. There's always going to be things yeah. that are beyond our control as humans that become hard. It's our ability to step outside of that and say, okay, that is hard, but I can still do that thing. I could not just make it about me and my gut visceral reaction to say, well, lock it down, protect myself. But I wonder at a very biological level, if that's possible, my cynical side says no, yeah. but I hope, I hope so. I hope yeah. So. Yeah. I, th I think conflict to agree is in some ways necessary in the sense of it, it is what, you know, through conflict, we build to higher forms of understanding and, and consciousness. Now, of course, you know, it's, it's easy to say conflict with a lowercase c, and then there's conflict with an uppercase c, where when really truly horrendous things happen, it's very hard to justify that that's leading to a better end. Mm. Um, but I think that is where it comes in of, you know, what, to whatever degree we can strive to make something good and future positive out of something horrendous. Um, that's where we do our job as humans, trying to create a better world. Yeah, maybe that's a good place to, to end it with one last question. Because, because I think, what, what if 
what if you pull the blinders back to a point and you recognize that there is almost like a coldness to the world in much of what you're saying, where horrible things that happen have to happen um, for us to be better. And that's, you know, there's been a thread of this throughout the conversation, but are we, are you okay with that? If that's true, if, if, you know, the, the thing that comes to mind, which is the safest way to say it is, I don't know if you're familiar with like the Marvel movies and comics and all oh, yeah. that, but like Thanos, right. Mm -hmm. Thanos, whole thing was he wanted to kill half the population because he thought that would put us on a better place, a better scale, mm -hmm. a much darker, more depressing way to go is, is Hitler and, and the Holocaust. It's hard to ever feel like, yeah, that was there was some good that came out of the Holocaust. But what if that's true? And again, I say that with full sensitivity. Obviously, the Holocaust was horrible. Yeah. But what if on a very grand level, events like that push us to a better place as, as humans? Are we OK? Like, are we ever OK with that? I know mathematically it checks out, maybe if that's true. And I'm not saying it is. But on a very personal, emotional level, it feels like I don't care if the math checks out like that's wrong. Yeah. How, how would you view that? Would you be okay with that if that's yeah. where the blind Oh, I mean, you know, something like something to the the, the Holocaust or even something small like a, a, a school shooting. I, right. I can't. How do you how do right. you how do you do the math in any way that it balances out mm -hmm. as a human being? Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't I can't I don't think I can answer, especially with specifics like that, because it is so horrible so that horrible. I can't even go there. But I, I will just say I believe in human beings. You know, horrible things happen. There are some really horrible people out there, but there are some, you know, I've traveled around the world. I've talked to people. The majority of people out there are kind, good, mm. interesting, full of wisdom, even if they don't know it. Mm. We are capable of ex extraordinary things. Mm. And it's, again, I, I do, I don't think, I don't believe that pulling back the blinders leads us to a cold world. On the contrary, I see pulling back the blinders as pulling back the things that get in our own way of ourselves of just being the magnificent creatures that we can mm. be. Mm. That's a beautiful way to end it. That I like. That is a very optimistic, beautiful take on it. Hillary, I, I can't thank you enough for making the time, for being on, for the work you do, right? Because I think the work you do and thinking about these things, traveling, looking through those different windows much as you said, hopefully with this podcast, I appreciate it. That allows us all to, to, to get better, to, to advance in that. So I appreciate you a ton for, for everything you do. Yeah, oh, thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you. I love your podcast. Um, you know, I'm a fan. So uh, yeah, great being on it. And it's been a thrill. Awesome. Thanks so much. You have an awesome